0: Good morning, church. Look at your neighbor. Tell them how amazing they're looking. Come on. If you're married, I'm helping you. If you're single, I'm helping you as well. Just tell the person next to you, you look amazing today. So good to see you in the house of the Lord. I'm so happy to be with you today. Um, On the way to church this morning, my wife calls me, and she said, "Um, are you on the roads? And I said, yes, I am. She left before me. And she said, I just wanted to give you a fair warning. Uh, it's it's rough out here. People are driving crazy, people seem annoyed, they seem impatient, like it's an extra special an extra dose of special this morning. And I thought, It's not happening to me. And so I you know, I'm asking her where she's going, what's she doing and She was like, ah, these cars are whipping around me, and they're honking for no reason, and I'm in the right place, and they're in the wrong place. And I thought, okay, baby, well, we just need to, you know, put on the armor of God and take authority over it. And she was like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm calling you. And so I pull into the convenience store, and I'm wrapping up the phone call, thinking, you know, my wife is being a little sensitive today. When a gentleman passes my Suburban and he's an older gentleman he's waddling a bit because of maybe a knee issue or ankle or whatever he's you know he's just hurting walking very very slow but as he passes me i see a pistol hanging out of his back pocket so i put on the armor of god real quick and i thought you know if someone were to run up behind Uh, this cat, he would likely not be able to catch the person that grabs the gun out of his back pocket. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, uh, I kind of felt like the Lord said, Trey, you know, you were being light with your wife, thinking, ah, no big deal. But it's just like the man with the gun in the back pocket, holding his protection so carelessly, not understanding that he's got to hold on to the thing that keeps him safe. And I wonder how many of us this morning forgot that we have a God in heaven who goes before us. He is behind us and he's all around us. And we just so casually play this Christian game. Or maybe you showed up to church this morning just so that you can put a check mark. I know maybe mom and dad made you come to church this morning. If that's you, don't look at mom and dad. Right now, just act like you want to be here. It'll make them happy. But we're doing more than just showing up to a church house this morning. We're stepping into an encounter. We're saying yes to an encounter. The book of the Bible that I was in last week that I started in, and I'm going to continue today, the book of Joshua, um, is a book written basically for the descendants of you know, Moses and Joshua, the Israelites, so that one day they could look back and see how they got where they were going and see all the land that God had promised to them. But what this book really does is it celebrates God as a defender, God as a king, and God as the general of the armies. It shows the boundaries that God gave to Israel, but more importantly it's a connecting narrative between moses and then joshua and then the judges okay so i want to take you to chapter three because we talked for a bit last week about moses and how he struck the rock and he struck the rock again and then he couldn't go into the promised land that was part of the judgment when he was 120 years old. That was part of the judgment for disobeying God as he couldn't actually see and walk into uh, the promised land. But I, I want to fast forward now a couple of chapters to chapter 3 because the nation of Israel had experienced a great deliverance under the leadership of Moses when God parted the Red Sea. Anyone heard that story? Anyone ever even seen the, the show? Like the old Moses stands there with the staff. And the water's part, and his, his wig blows, you know? And then the water's part. Anyone ever been to Universal Studios and you saw the water? Some of you are like, I've not been on vacation in two years. Yeah. Uh, this is the moment where massive deliverance took place. They were in bondage, they were being held in Egypt. But God parted the Red Sea so they could cross and escape from the angry egyptian army Uh, that was something that the nation looked back on with great fondness and now god is about to perform a similar miracle I, i don't know if you realize this but not only did god part the red sea god parted the jordan river it's a whole separate don't conflate the two it's not one miracle it's two very different miracles For the same group of people, and I want to talk about how that applies to us today. You see, crossing the Red Sea brought them freedom. But crossing the Jordan River allowed them to step into their inheritance. I hope that you get freedom today. But even beyond that, I hope that you step into the inheritance that God has for you. Will you stand to your feet today? We're going to read the entire chapter of 3. The entire chapter of Joshua, chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days... The officers went through the camp and commanded the people as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the lord your god being carried by the priest then you shall set out from your place and follow it yet there shall be a distance between you and it about two thousand cubits in length that's just about half a mile a little over half a mile they had to follow behind do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go for you have not passed And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan. So the priests are about half a mile in front, Tristan, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, right? And the Bible's telling us that as their feet touch the brink of the water, so as their feet start to get wet... You shall still stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. So then they take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe, and when the soles of the feet of the priest, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents, look at your neighbor and say, so when? At Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Ereba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Look at your neighbor and say, we did it. We did it. We just read chapter three. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for your word that has the power to transform our lives, has the power to reach us right where we are. Holy Spirit, we say that you have complete access to this room, to the people watching online, to anyone that watches this service months from now, years from now. God, we ask that you would stir us. That you would move us, God. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen. 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 You may be seated. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I don't have a timer, so let me know if you get hungry. All right? Once the last person is hungry, I'll stop preaching. All right? Um, You know, if you know anything about history of the good old U.S. of A., you know that the 13th Amendment, when it was ratified, marked a historic occasion in our nation's history. Uh, The amendment officially abolished slavery. Now, we still have slavery, global slavery, today. It's not been abolished. But this 13th Amendment was uh, certainly a step in the right direction, where America uh, decided to abolish slavery. in our, in our nation's history. And what happened in that moment was the gates of plantations swung wide open and slaves walked out. Isn't that awesome? Anybody thankful for the 13th Amendment of the United States of America? I'm so, so grateful that that's, that was accomplished and, and the gates swung open and the, the slave man became free. But what you may not know, it's kind of shocking to think about, is that there were many, not most, but there were many people when the plantation gates swung open, they chose not to leave. They chose to stay. Um, They they were concerned, they were nervous. uh, They felt that they were ill-equipped for freedom. They knew that in some shape or form freedom came with a price tag. And it was scary. All they had ever known was slavery. And with that slavery came food rations and a place to lay your head, right? That doesn't make slavery okay. I'm not trying to glamorize slavery. I'm not trying to list the benefits of being a slave. But that was the known for them. Once they left the plantation, they understood that once I crossed that, that line, I'm now responsible for where I lay my head at night. I'm now responsible for the food that I consume. I'm now responsible for trying to be competitive, whatever the world looks like out there. And, and many of them never even thought beyond the plantation because it seemed so unrealistic to them that they would ever be free. Because that's what bondage does bondage causes you to think there is no life outside of the plantation gates. They were unwilling to pay the price that came with freedom. Every promise, for every promise, there's not a a promise that is exempt to this statement. For every promise, there's a price tag. For every promise... There is a cost. There is is something that you are accountable for, for every dream that you have. Every goal that you have, every heart's desire that you have comes with a cost. It comes with a price tag. And so here we are now in Israel. They've been taken out of Egypt. The Red Sea crossed. We were freed from slavery, freed from bondage. They said, yes, many of them wanted to go back because they were familiar with what was back there and the wilderness was scary, but they, we got them out of Egypt. That was a good thing. Thank you, Jesus. But then next, we got to get the Egypt out of them. And it's two separate rivers that we got cross. You don't get to just leave Egypt and Egypt stays in Egypt. If you're used to the bondage, once you leave Egypt, Egypt goes with you. And the next river you have to cross is pulling Egypt up out of you. Out of your mindsets, out of the lens that you see the world, out of your perspectives. We see that Genesis... God made a promise to Abram that he was going to make him a great nation. Do you remember that? More than the stars in the sky and sands in the sea, I'm going to build you into a great nation. And then we go into Exodus. When Genesis closes, Exodus opens up and the people are in bondage. God shows up to Moses through a burning bush and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I want you to go tell him, that it's time for my 13th Amendment. I want you to tell them that I'm the great emancipator. I'm setting you free and sending you to a place of promise, God is telling Moses. So Moses goes, and now we come to the place in our text today where it's finally time for them to walk into the promise. They've spent 40 years in the wilderness, right? There was a great delay between the promise and the provision, Okay, what they thought was going to happen. So our text now tells us that God is calling them to something higher. They're standing on this side of the Jordan River and God is making us acutely aware in our text that every dream has a cost. Every promise has a price tag. Abraham and Sarah... What was the promise? The promise was that I'm going to make you into a great nation. What was the cost? What was the price tag? Infertility. Infertility was the Jordan River that they had to cross, but God said, you can trust me. What about Joseph? Joseph, the promise was I'm going to make you so influential. I'm going to make you uh, just so valuable and important that the whole world is going to come to you at a time of famine. But what was the price tag for that? Massive betrayal by his family People lied about him talked about him people beat him up People pretended to kill him. He was thrown into a pit. He was thrown into prison He probably didn't know when he first had the dream when he first came across the promise what the cost was going to be But every promise has a price tag then we fast forward to David David gets a promise that he's anointed to be king He didn't know the price tag was a 15-year delay. The cost is going to be this long time, this this gulf between the promise and the position. And, And by the way, an additional cost, you're going to have to deal with someone that really doesn't like you. A really difficult person, Saul. But every promise has a price tag, and every dream has a cost, the Bible is really clear um, that every promise, every promise, every land of promise has a Jordan River that you have to cross. And so I'm talking today from a perspective, not a freedom from sin. I, I want you to get free from sin. We'll give you the opportunity at the end of service to say yes to Jesus. But I'm wanting you to understand that in the here and now, like before you get to heaven, there is an inheritance that's waiting for you here. We don't leave the wilderness to go to heaven. We leave the wilderness to get to our inheritance here. So many people want a great marriage but don't want to stand before the Jordan River of hard work. A great marriage doesn't land in your lap. Can I get an amen from all the men who know? <laughs> Many of us want a healthy family, but we don't want to stand before the Jordan River, the, the cost, the price tag of actually spending time with our kids, setting technology aside or shutting work down or actually showing up for dinner or having dinner around the, the dinner table rather than when we're all scattered running, doing our own pickup. Like, we want a healthy family, but we don't get the promise of a healthy family without paying the cost of spending time together. Parents want children to grow up to love the Lord. But we don't do the hard work of requiring that they come to church. Getting them in the youth ministry so they actually make relationships. Making them go to camp. We had one family that made their son go to camp. Like made. Made their son go to camp. (laughs) And his life was transformed. That doesn't mean from there on out it's all different like he still got his battles but his life was transformed there was an encounter that he can no longer deny that God didn't meet him at camp because parents were willing to do the hard thing even when the Jordan River looked like it was raging even when the wife or the husband doesn't want to spend the time or the family doesn't want to spend the time or the kids don't want to spend the time or the finances don't look like you're you're putting in any effort like you keep doing the hard work, because you understand on the other side of the cost is the promise. We all just want a Chick-fil-A God. I know. We want a Chick-fil-A God that we can look at the menu and we can order it just like we want it. And we can be in the drive through with 32 seconds, get what we want, and, and, you know, just feel like God has just met all of our needs. And then we can tweet about it and say, hashtag blessed. But any significantly effective follower of Jesus that's scaring hell doesn't get their Christianity from Chick-fil-A. You can get your chicken there, though. I do recommend that. (laughs) Nothing better than Christian chicken. You can't microwave godly kids. You can't, sometimes you might feel like that might be a solution. <laughs> you can't microwave financial success. Can I, Can I? from anybody that's ever done the Dave Ramsey program, and you've put that extra 53 cents on that credit card to pay it off half a second earlier. Do you know what I mean? Like every little thing that you have, the snowball debt, and then the save, it's like, it's work. And it takes time, and it takes focus, and it takes commitment because if you want the things that not everybody is going to step into you got to do the things that not everybody's willing to do to get to the land of promise you can't microwave a new business spent some time on the phone with someone this week helping them with with their business plan they got a great business plan and they asked me to help them craft their values and their mission statement. They like the way I, I phrased things. And so I did, and it's for a, a tattoo shop. And I, it, was, it was amazing. But the most amazing thing was that it's not being rushed. They didn't just get an idea, go buy a building, throw up a sign, and say God, God, God's hand was on it. They're wrestling with some things. Some of you right now are wondering, should I start a business, should I not? Should I leave my career, should I not? Should I make these decisions or these investments? What what should I do? I'm telling you, in this season of life, okay, this is extra, it's not in my notes. You don't even have to tithe on this part of the sermon. In this season, in this culture, in this climate, this is not the time to make any big decisions without bathing it seriously in prayer. Maybe in 2017, you could have gotten away with a rash decision. Maybe in 2010, you could have gotten away with it. But we're in 2021, and we're standing before the Jordan River. And you're not going to get from here to there without spending some serious time seeking the Lord. Our story opens up where uh, the people can probably see the promised land. They probably can see it. The Jordan River, it's maybe a hundred feet wide it's where we get that song deep and wide deep and wide something like that All right but we we often will say that the Jordan River represents us going into heaven crossing over into heaven there are songs out there about that but that's not actually what the text is saying the text is talking about the inheritance the inheritance when you and I make it to heaven we don't get our inheritance Jesus gets his reward you're his inheritance But you get an inheritance now, here and now. When you say yes to Jesus and you cross the Red Sea, you're free from sin. But then you come up to, every one of us will come up to a shoreline called Jordan. And we have to decide if we're going to cross it or not. Are we going to live in the wilderness? You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. You're still, you know, your salvation is secure. But are you going to live like an average Christian? Are you going to step beyond into the territory that God has called you to? Are those dreams actually going to manifest themselves because you were willing to stand and face this river called Jordan and do the hard work and pay the cost and pay the price tag? So every story has a protagonist and an antagonist. The antagonist in our story is the Jordan River. The antagonist is usually like the bad guy, but I don't want you to walk away today feeling like hard work is the bad guy or commitment is the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Opposition isn't bad. It's opposition that allows a plane to stay in the air while you're sitting in it. Right? It's opposition that causes lift. The more opposition over the wings, the higher you get to go. So opposition isn't bad but it is our antagonist it's a massive river in this story and it's hundred feet wide it's only three or four feet deep typically but this isn't scripture says it's not a typical day this is the harvest season so you know the snow caps on mount herman they're they're melting it's most likely an el nino year and it's flooding and the river is raging, and it's very, very high. If they were to walk in there just carelessly, it would certainly sweep them away. So they look at it, and Scripture says they camped next to it for three days. Three days, they heard the water rushing. Three days, they talked about the plan, and they strategized, and they said, when the, when the ark passes, then you're going to follow behind. Make sure you leave half a mile, 0.6 of a mile behind. And they, and they strategized, and they talked, and they watched the river for three days. I wonder what they felt. Do you think on day three, they could still hear the water rushing? Or had they tuned it out? Do you think on day three they still had a tad bit of anxiety? Or have they just become numb to the proposition of what they were about to do? I wonder what Jordan Rivers, you and I, have come up against and we've camped out long enough to become desensitized to the roar of the wave. To no longer feel the conviction or the pull to chase the dream. To, to no longer understand that God has called us to go beyond where we currently are because we've gotten comfortable camping outside of the promised land rather than actually stepping into the promised land. What Jordan Rivers have you gotten up close and personal with? What things have you gotten so cozy with that you stopped praying about them? I wonder, you know, if I were God, Chad, I'm not, but if I were, I wonder what I would make people do to get their promise. You ever thought about that? It probably wouldn't be pretty, to be honest, because I'm a lot like you, and uh, I, I can push the boundaries and push, you know, push the limits, but but God, why did, why did God make them cross a second river? Why couldn't he have just given them the road map to go to a, a place in the river where they could easily cross over by foot? Better yet, if God is over the seasons, why didn't he just tell them three months earlier before the rainy season to cross the river? Why did, why did God wait for the time when it was the most dangerous to cross the river. He, he could have made it easy. God could actually make your promise easy. Do you know that? That promise that you've been crying about and you've been praying about and you've lost sleep over in a moment. God could change it. And he probably won't. Because when you get to the land of promise, you're gonna come against some Canaanites, some Jebusites, Amorites, maybe uh Bedmites. You're going to come against an enemy once you get to the land of promise. That thing that you think, the grass is just so green. God, if you could just make this happen for me. And God says, I'm going to allow you. I'm going to give you the benefit of seeing me work through the Jordan River before you get to the land of promise. Because you're going to still have some battles over here in that land that you think is so amazing. You're still going to have some battles and you're going to need a moment, a demarcation in time where you say, God was with me then. If God could get me through that, he can get me through this. God will use the that's in our life to get us through the this's. And I know that's really bad grammar. (laughs) We all have a "that." We all have a that. What is your that? I'll tell you my that. One of my that's. I have a lot of that's. But here's one of my that's. This is a big that. Our big that is in 1999, I left the United States Air Force to go to God's college, Texas A&M University, as evidenced by yesterday. God's favor is on Texas A&M University. Can I get a whoop from anybody? Come on, where are my Aggies at? All right. I didn't actually get to watch the game yesterday's, but I heard it's great. Um, when we first moved to College Station, we were $500 short every month. Not $500 short for the move, <laughs> I would have loved that. We were $500 short every month. Now listen, you're in 2021, maybe $500 isn't that big of a deal to you, but in 1999, Tristan, that was before you were born. Jordan, that was before you were born. 1999, $500 a month is significant, especially when you're living out in the country. We've got eight acres in the country in Giddings, Texas, with a mobile home, single-wide mobile home. It's not like we really had neighbors to just offer to rake their leaves for the extra 500 bucks, right? Month after month after month, $500 short. And every single month, Somehow, God made a way. He he made a way without us losing sleep. He made a way without us downing tums. He made a way without us arguing and fighting with each other and getting stressed out. I mean, we had random checks show up in the mail, refunds from Texas A&M from two years prior that I didn't even know was coming, and each and every time chase, $500. And if God could do that, He can do this. And every this becomes a that. How do I get through the Jordan River? How do I get through the Jordan River? I'm going to move quickly on my three points today. As quickly as I can. Because I need you to latch on to this. Because I really sense in in my heart that many of us I felt like our season of dreaming was over. Our season of pursuing the next was over. But just because you're standing in front of a massive river that's overflooding its banks doesn't mean that God has not created a way for you to step through the Jordan River to get to the land of promise. In verse 3, It says, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Now, this is their strategy. This is their strategy for getting through the Jordan, all right? If it worked for them, it probably is going to work for us. Here's what they did. They watched for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. They watched for the Ark to pass by them. God God is letting them know you got to watch for this box. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a real simple little box made of acacia wood, two cherubim sitting, angels sitting on top. Inside the box, there, were, there was like a pot of manna, Aaron's rod. Uh, there were, the law was written on tablets. And it represented, not just represented, it became the resting place of the presence of God. And in that time when people would talk about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, it would be as if they're referring to Yahweh, to God, God himself. Not like just God's chest, not his jewelry box, but God The presence of God. So God is is telling them, you want to cross the Jordan, the first thing you got to do is watch for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God to pass by. God is saying to them, don't just jump into the Jordan, you need to wait on me. In a few chapters, you're going to see that the Israelites didn't wait on God and they got whooped in battle. The way you're going to get through, God says, the way you're going to get through this raging river, this challenge to pay the price tag, to pay the cost, the way you're going to get through is to follow his lead. His presence is everything. I never want to go to a land God has called me if his presence isn't going before me. You want to know how to pay the cost, how to... Step into your land of promise. Learn to host the presence in your life. Host the presence in your life. Push the agendas aside, the calendars aside, the schedules aside, and just sit down with Jesus for a moment. Put, put on some worship music. Put on whatever, whatever it is that allows you to step into a moment with God. You don't have to go find the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, all right? Some of you are like, great, find Acacia box. Where am I going to find an Acacia box? I'm not asking you to do that. Uh, you won't find the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, after the sem- second temple was destroyed, they couldn't find the Ark of the Covenant. So we don't know where it is. I personally have a thought that God took the Ark of the Covenant and it's sitting in heaven and we get to look at his home. You know, like when you go to Dollywood and you get to see the old home that Dolly was in? Do you know what I mean? I think there's a museum in heaven where you get to see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. And he gets to say, one day people followed this and, and they were more than half a mile away from it, yet it still made a way. When is the last time you... You inventoried your life, and you allowed God to have full access to it all. Hosting the presence. Second, and this is not going to be popular, but it's the the thing that is going to catapult you the most through the Jordan River. We see it in... Verse 5, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, wait a minute. The Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow, but today, consecrate yourself. It's a command, not a suggestion. It wasn't recommended activity to bide the time while you're waiting for the Jordan to dry up. If you consecrate yourself, the Lord will do wonders in your midst tomorrow. Consecrate, what does that mean? Consecrate means to wash, to purify, to let water run through. Almost like doing doing laundry, putting on white garments. But, But it also speaks not just about doing your laundry. Metaphorically speaking, talking on a spiritual level of cleansing yourself before the Lord. But primarily, the word consecrate tells us that we need to steward our sexuality right. That came out of left field. You didn't really expect that one, did you? But if we want to see the Lord do wonders... Tomorrow, part of the consecration is to steward our sexuality. We see in Exodus 19, verses 14 through 15. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Consecration was... Part of understanding that your sexuality belongs to your Creator, not to you. And allowing God to do work tomorrow requires that we have to surrender some things today. Sanctification is equivalent to consecration. And I want to make sure that we understand this as a church. I don't want to use churchy words, okay? If I, if I use churchy words, someone be the buzzer and just be like, meh, so I know to back up and use, like, everyday language. Can anyone agree to do that? Great, great. So there are a few words I just want to throw on the table so that you can take them home and sift through them at lunch, okay? There's this thing called justification. Justification happens in an instant when you say yes to Jesus. Like, you are in right standing with God, the moment you say yes to Jesus, just as if I'd never sinned, justified, justification, okay? Justification happens in a day, but sanctification is a process. It's a process that allows us to continue to look more like Jesus, When we're standing at the Jordan, looking at the promised land, we should be aware that we'll never really embrace the promise of God as long as we reject the process of sanctification. That was a mouthful. Can I say it one more time? We will never be able to embrace the promise of God unless we embrace the process of sanctification. The focus of justification is removing the guilt of sin. The focus of sanctification is the inner healing from the dysfunctionality of sin. You know, when you said yes to Jesus and your sins were washed away, you became white as snow, you still carried some baggage. Just like at the 13th Amendment, when people who suddenly could go free chose to remain a slave. They were set free. But they chose to live in bondage because the dysfunctionality of sin had already taken root in their heart, in their behaviors, in their thoughts. So sanctification looks an awful lot like allowing the Lord to use his word and the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of truth. Jesus said in John 17 and 17, sanctify them with truth. So sanctification, presence, and the third, my final point, is in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, everybody say, so when? So, so When, this verse says a lot, but the first two words, so when, says it all. They'd been busy planning, strategizing, negotiating, communicating, talking, like nonstop talking as the river is rushing behind them for three days. But there comes a point, there comes a a so when point, a so when, like the, the moment that the presence of God shifts you and tells you to take a step, that's when, You go, now it's time to act. But so many of us get analysis paralysis. We've counted the cost. We've estimated the price. We've checked our bank account to make sure we can cover the check we're about to write for the dream we want to step into. But then we check the price again, count the cost again, then we check our bank account again to make sure that it can cover the steps to get into the dream, and we get ready to go, but wait, inflation has happened, so we count the cost, and we check the price, we check our bank account to make sure it can cover. Anyone ever been in a cycle of analysis paralysis where you just keep making sure that you're making sure that you're making sure that this is the right time? step out with courage. Wet feet faith stands on dry ground. But dry ground, dry feet faith stands on sinking sand. I'll say that again. Wet feet faith stands on dry ground. But dry feet faith stands on sinking sand. If you're waiting for the Jordan River to dry up before you step out and cross into what God is calling you to do, you'll never experience the miracle that God has waiting for you. But if you're hosting the presence, if you are sanctifying yourself before the Lord, and even if you see the water still moving, if God tells you to go, Don't be afraid of the wet feet, because your wet feet faith will get you to see dry ground. Will you stand with me today? In Joshua chapter 21, I may preach a sermon on this because it's just so good, but I want to give you a spoiler. Joshua twenty-one forty-five says, not one of the good promises which the Lord has made has failed. All came to pass. These people got to see the promises unfolding right before their very eyes the people that were standing in front of the Jordan weren't actually the same people that had crossed the Red Sea. A new generation had arisen. I want to ask you this morning, where are you standing? For some of us, we're still standing before the Red Sea. We're stuck in bondage. We're stuck in slavery. We're a slave to sin, not a slave to Christ. We're a slave to self, to the flesh, to the world, not a slave to Christ. You're, you're standing before the Red Sea, and it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to say yes to Jesus. Others of us are standing before the Jordan. We've given up the dreams that God had for us. Not the dreams that you manufactured, the dreams that God had for us. You've stepped away from the table and not believed that the Lord can do it again. If you'll close your eyes by your heads this morning, back to the Red Sea, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're standing there and you're ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you will you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for? You've been running, you've said no, you've walked away. Whatever it is, you've avoided the opportunity to say yes to him and now is your chance. If that's you, will you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? All right, thank you. Church, will you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that I'm a child of God. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.